Chapter Three of Roman Color Detective by Grayson Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Three. Mary Jo Linton let her fingers run quickly through an arpeggio after playing the final chord of the Whiff and Poof song. It was fun to limber up her fingers, and it was satisfying too the way the melodies quickened her pulse or soothed her, depending on the tempo of the selection. She must spend a bit more time at the piano. Perhaps if she played more she would lose some of her restlessness. It was probably due to the letdown after her busy spring, proms, final exams, graduation from New Rochelle College, and the rush that Jerry Laughlin had given her the past two months. Her hands moved quickly into a minor chord, followed by a run in the same key. That's the way she felt, like the melancholy notes she was playing. Why did she feel this way? So restless. There was no reason for it. A gust of irritation swept through her. Why did Jerry have to run off to the wilds of Canada to fish during his vacation? He could just as well have stayed home and fished in some of the nearby lakes. Then they could have dated some in the afternoon and evenings. She stood up from the piano and moved slowly to the front hall, turned on the light, and looked at herself in the mirror above the hall table. She liked her dress. Its splashy crimson flowers on the yellow background went well with her black hair and eyes. It had been new for that house party at spring vacation. She smiled at the memory of a gay weekend. Half turned to the mirror, she gave it a quick side glance, slightly speculative, her eyes narrowing. Her lips formed a soft straight line. With a quick movement, she reached up and pinched her nose and pulled it down. Too stubby, cute when she was a kid, but not exactly right for a girl almost twenty-two, who had just that morning received her temporary teaching certificate in home economics. A troubled feeling ran through her. Would she be able to keep discipline in her classes? Was she too young-looking? Could she be stern enough to command respect? She pushed back her shoulders, pursed her lips in severity, and let out a trill of laughter. She'd have to do better than that. With a restless movement, she turned quickly from the mirror and walked out the front door and down the broad stone steps onto the lawn. It was peaceful there, but too quiet. In her mood, she needed activity. She stood for a moment listening to the tapping of her hammer on the other side of the grove of trees, which shut off any view of the church and school. Her eyes moved slowly around, trying to penetrate the darkness. As she walked across the wide lawn to the edge of the woodlot, ancient trees which stood in stately beauty flanking their large home. She had always loved these trees. As a child, this had been her favorite play spot. She felt the wild ferns brush her bare legs, and she smelled the cool fragrance which came to her when the ferns broke under her feet. It was too early for the moon to filter through the trees, to make lacy patterns against the sky. It was very dark. Somehow, even the trees had lost some of their magic for her. So she decided to go back to the house, put on fresh lipstick, and walk over to the school grounds. Mother and Dad ought to be ready to come home, she thought. When she turned, she was conscious of a grating noise. It was no ordinary sound of the night. Someone was among the trees watching her. She could feel the presence. She stopped, her whole figure contracted with the tenseness of terror. She listened, her heart pounding wildly in her throat. A car swished by on the highway, its noise covering all other sounds. She stood motionless, waiting. She looked out toward the highway, two hundred feet away, where another car roared on the way from Galton to Hart's Corners. Across the highway to the left was the McCarthy home, 
lights burning brightly in most of the downstairs rooms. To the left on the property adjoining their own, she could see lights in Mr. Stone's house. As she listened intently, the pounding of her pulse receded, and she moved quickly back toward her home. It may have been a rabbit scurrying through the trees, but it hadn't sounded like a rabbit. It had been more like the abrasive, uneven step of someone unaccustomed to walking in the dark. Distant hammering came to her again, giving her a feeling of others not too far away. She would go over there to the school grounds and ride home with her folks. She laughed softly to herself. Dad would take the car if only going a half block. When she reached the front steps, she saw a man walking up the long driveway toward her. He was carrying his straw hat in his hand. For a moment she thought it was her father, the same short, stocky build and heavy head of graying, curly hair. When he got closer to her, the light from the living room showed her that it was Samuel Blake, one of the county commissioners. "'Good evening, Mr. Blake.' "'That you, Mary Jo?' "'Yes.' "'I didn't know for sure, as it's kind of dark out here. Is your father at home?' "'Not just now, but he will be soon. He's over at the church helping put up booths for the summer festival. Won't you come in and wait for him? I'll go over and tell him you're here.' "'Thanks, Mary Jo. I'll do that.' After walking into the living room and making Mr. Blake comfortable, Mary Jo stepped into the powder room, did over her lips, and went quickly out the front door. When she reached the highway, she noticed a parked car. It must be Mr. Blake's, she thought. Funny he hadn't driven into their driveway. Maybe he wasn't planning to stay very long and didn't want to block the drive, in case someone wanted to enter. She walked along the edge of the highway. As she had such a short distance to go, she didn't feel it worthwhile to cross to the far side to be facing traffic. She would have cut right in on the school ball field as soon as she passed the pines, if it hadn't been for the poison ivy which she knew flanked the road. Living outside the city limits of Galton might have some advantages, she thought, but walking in open-toed pumps in the loose gravel at the side of the highway wasn't one of them. The light of the oncoming car picked out the figure of a man lipping towards her. Though he was in civilian clothes, she recognized him as the fellow she had seen in McCarthy's driveway two days before. Only then he had been in a captain's uniform. But why did he limp? Had he been wounded? Bill Devon made his way slowly along the highway. His feet slipped on the graveled edge and brought flashes of pain into his knee. The trees on both sides of the road made a tunnel of the highway. He stopped to rest his knee. From above in the trees came the shrill cry of tree toads. Funny about people calling them toads when they were really frogs. Bill wondered if he ought to go back and have Tim drive him home. No, better go on, he thought. It wasn't more than the length of three football fields to where Aunt Martha lived. By the light of a car coming up from behind, Bill saw a girl coming toward him. In the momentary light, he took in the flowered yellow dress, the dark hair, and the lovely eyes. Then darkness fell between them. What was she doing out on the highway alone? probably on her way to the school grounds. Why hadn't she come earlier? She might have put some fun into life on a nice summer evening. Talking to her would have been much more exciting than talking to young Muscles. Bill chuckled softly to himself as he recalled Muscles' reply to the question, Is Father Tim a good coach? Yes, sir. He's the best coach in the league. He sure knows a lot of trick plays. You like trick plays? Sure do. They're fun. Does Father Tim get right in there and show you how to block and tackle? Once in a while, but mostly we practice our trick plays. Do they work? 
They would if the other teams didn't have such big guys on them. They get in and bust them up for us. And Father Tim shows you how to hold the ball for throwing passes and how to punt? Ah, he don't have to show us that stuff. We all know how to do that. I'll bet you won the championship with all those trick plays. Not this year. St. Stephen's won it, but we'll win this fall. Sure you will. Where did your team finish last fall? In sixth place. How many teams are in the league? Six. Say, did you play football in college? Yes. Where? Notre Dame. Notre Dame? No foolin'? No foolin'. Gee, stay here a while, will you? I want to get some of the guys. Be right back. Within three minutes, Muscles had come back with three other boys, all members of St. Mary's football team. He had enjoyed the half hour spent with the young football players, but that same time spent talking with that lovely girl would have. A pistol shot cracked through the warm night air. That was no car backfiring, Bill thought. Where had it come from? Up ahead? Who'd be shooting around here at this time of night? Well, it was none of his business. He'd amble along toward Aunt Martha's. He passed the sign which he knew read, Galton, population 21,398. He was now at the city limits, and yet for over a mile down the highway were large homes with beautifully landscaped grounds. He knew he would have to get across the road to his aunt's home, but, as he remembered from earlier in the evening, this side was better to walk on, so he'd stay where he was for the present. He had just reached the break in the hedge, and stepped onto the cement driveway leading into the Linton property, when there was a rustle in the shrubs and a soft step behind him. Then something hard was pressed against the small of his back. Walk up that driveway, a low voice said. There was another sharp prod in his back. Bill stood still with legs widespread, feeling his pulse slugging at his temples, neck, and wrists. Furious resentment at being held up this way raced through him, straining at every muscle. He wanted to turn and swing a heavy blow at the shadow behind him, but the gun at his back prodded viciously. This was the first time he'd ever had a revolver poked into his back, for he felt certain that what was pressing his shirt deeply into his flesh was something with a bullet in it. Could it be that this was the same gun that had fired the shot he'd heard a few minutes ago, and who was behind him holding the gun? For a moment he considered using some commando tactics to get out of the spot, but when he thought of the quick movements it would require to turn and grab the weapon arm and throw his assailant down, he knew he couldn't do it. The pain in his leg warned him not to try it. He would not be able to move fast enough. Bill started to turn his head, but the prod came harder, almost making him lose his balance. Don't look around. Just move. Bill limped slowly up the driveway. When he had gone about ten feet, the voice said, Stop. At the same time, an arm reached around his left side, and something hard bumped against his chest, while the gun at his back continued to bore into him. I'm holding another revolver out in front of you. It's not loaded. Take hold of it. Bill fumbled around, felt a gloved hand holding a pistol by the barrel. He grabbed the butt of the pistol, and instinctively his little finger felt to see if the clip was in place. The empty hole assured him it had been withdrawn. Pull the trigger, the voice said. Bill hesitated a minute. What could he do with the guy holding revolver at his back? Should he wheel and swing now? Pull the trigger. You have no other choice, the voice said, as if he'd read Bill's mind. Bill pulled the trigger and heard the click. What was this all about? 
craziest thing that had ever happened to him. Maybe the guy holding the pistol at his back was insane. This was one spot a fellow had to be careful in if he wanted to get out alive. He let go of the pistol and immediately the arm dropped from in front of him. Now walk back to the road and keep going. Bill turned with relief. The spot on his back where the gun had been held felt warm, burny. Queer feeling having a gun held at your back. Even the twinge of pain in his knee did not slow his progress as he began to move. Not hearing any sound but his own footsteps, Bill knew that the man was standing in the shadows, watching him, waiting for him to reach the highway and move on. When he reached the clump of shrubs and his feet touched the gravel at the side of the road, he thought he heard footsteps running across the lawn, away from him and toward the Linton home. He stepped back among the bushes, spreading them without thrust arms. When in a position to see the house, he saw a dark figure move across the terrace, a shadowy figure in the soft glow cast by the lights from the living room. End of chapter 3